Just a quick message before the episode gets underway. The Aurora Renewables Summit London is returning on the afternoon of Wednesday the 26th of June. Book your ticket now to hear from leading experts in the energy industry as they assess the opportunities and challenges within the UK and the wider European renewable sector. You will also benefit from unparalleled networking opportunities. We look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged. My name is Hans Koenig. I'm Aurora's Managing Director for Central Europe. And my guest on the show today is Niels Aldag, co-founder and CEO of Sunfire, a leading manufacturer of electrolyzers. Welcome to the show, Niels. Thank you, Hans. It's a pleasure to be with you. A few words of introduction to Niels before we start. Niels has been CEO of Sunfire since 2020, and before that had roles as Chief Commercial Officer for four years, and before that Chief Financial Officer for seven years. That means he spent his entire professional life at Sunfire, a company he co-founded in 2009, right after graduating from EBS Business School in Germany. Outside his main job, uh, he is quite active in the hydrogen policy space. Niels is a board member of the eFuel Alliance, a member of the EU Clean Hydrogen Alliance, and also serves as vice chair of the Renewable Hydrogen Coalition. So uh, plenty of experience in the policy space as well. Once again, welcome, Niels. It's great to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here. To start at a high level, can you introduce Sunfire to those of our listeners who are not yet familiar with the company? Yeah, of course, I'd love to. So uh, Sunfire is a uh, developer and manufacturer of electrolyzers for industrial applications. So uh, we basically build the devices that you need in order to convert water with renewable electricity into hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, we do that with round about 600 people um, all distributed over uh, four locations, mostly in Germany, uh, with a small site also in Switzerland. Um, and we serve a wide uh, variety of customers um, in the steel industry, in the refining industry, but also in the energy and, and utilities space. Um, and we are currently um, transitioning from a company that has built a more demonstration-sized uh, equipment uh, to a company that is now um, building and providing industrial-scale electrolyzers to uh, those industries that I've just mentioned. Great. Um... As I said in the introduction, you co-founded the business in 2009, uh, right after graduating from university. What made you want to set up a hydrogen startup? Uh, because in, in those days, um, or I might even say that uh, you went into hydrogen before it was cool. Um, and uh, in those days, most university graduates, I don't know, went into e-commerce uh, or, 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 or something like that, consumer tech, but certainly not, uh, not uh, electrolysis hardware. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, of course, a mix of different uh, reasons. Uh, the, the first and most obvious one is that I had actually spent quite some time um, uh, looking into clean technologies, looking into interesting business models um, in the clean tech space during the end of my studies. I spent um, actually quite uh, quite a bit of time 
on the West Coast in the US, um, had the chance to meet uh, extremely interesting uh, people, uh, a, a professor at the University of Stanford who was quite uh, fascinating to, to listen to. So um, that, that was one, uh, one, one reason why I got interested in the topic and, and what I became aware of, and I think it was, in a, it was a similar, similar thing also to, to both my co-founders, Christian and Karl, um, was that while we had amazing solutions to, um, to, to get rid of fossil energy in the electrical sector, and we had promising solutions in order to also enlarge the reach of electricity through battery electric mobility and also heat pumps. Um, one very clear outcome of my studies back then was that we had a um, uh, we, we had very limited um, uh, solutions in order to decarbonize what today is termed the hard to abate sectors. Um, so this is this is how the three of us um, all basically came together. Um, and then being the business graduates and having probably the most uh, the, the least interesting profile out of the the three founders, I was just very fortunate that those guys were looking for someone to co-write or to write the business plan. Um, and and then it was the 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 yeah it was it was the right place and the right time. And uh, that's that's how the three of us got together. Great. I mean, uh, yeah, as I, as I said, certainly one of the one of the pioneers of the um, um, of the electrolyzer technology in Europe. So yeah, uh, uh, impressive story. What sets you apart from other electrolyzer manufacturers? Um, so first of all, Sunfire has a very interesting um, product portfolio. So um, to those uh, of the listeners who know a bit more about um, about hydrogen and about um, electrolysis specifically, um, we offer on the one hand side a so-called pressurized alkaline electrolysis which is a technology which in principle has been around for several decades. So it is relatively well-developed and also well-understood how to manufacture, uh, install, and also operate that equipment. So uh, if you want, that's that's the robust, um, that's the robust quasi-commercial product that we can offer today and that we can offer today at pretty significant scale. So we're not talking about um, a small kilowatt or single digit megawatt plants, but we actually talk about um, about 50, 100 or even hundreds of megawatts that we can sell based on that pressurized alkaline electrolysis technology. So with that product, Sunfire is ready to participate in that first wave of hydrogen projects, which I believe is going to be uh, huge with, with the, the ambition that we see in the market, uh, both in the industrial sector, but also in the political sector today. Um, but what sets us apart is that on top of that commercial product, Sunfire is already working on the next generation of electrolyzers. And we're next to the pressurized alkaline electrolysis, also offering a product which is called solid oxide electrolysis, also known as high temperature electrolysis. And that technology has an amazing feature, which is that it's substantially more efficient, around 30%, 35% more efficient than uh, conventional state-of-the-art technology. And efficiency is not the only factor in this discussion, but it is a very important element of total cost of ownership structures of green hydrogen production. So I think that product portfolio of a really good first-generation product and a very promising uh, next-generation product, that is one of the elements that sets us apart. And just to mention uh, one additional point, um, I think that one of the most important features in the industry is, is really the, the reputation you have, 
your ability to deliver on the things you have promised to your customers um, and, and the resources that you have to actually execute larger scale projects. And this is really something which we as a management team has have always made sure over the past 13 years that we've been around is to make sure that we have a good reputation, that people like to work with us, that people gain the trust, that Sunfire will be able uh, to deploy the larger projects that we're promising to our customers. It sounds trivial, but I think in reality, that execution piece is something which is complicated or more complicated. And Sunfire is definitely in a great position to deliver um, on, on that promise. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great ideas fail in the execution. So yeah, to, to, totally, totally get that. Uh, you mentioned the um, the pressurized alkaline and the uh, um, and the solid oxide um, electrolysis. Um, how how do you see the two of them interacting? Um, obviously, alkaline now, solid oxide in the future. But w when is the switch over between um, uh, between the two happening, or when do you see solid oxide entering the market at scale? So um, first of all, it's important to look at the maturity of the the two technologies. And while the alkaline electrolysis is a commercial product, um, which now needs to be scaled up, of course. Nobody has built the size of equipment that is needed in the market right now, but I think that can be termed more or less commercial. Um, the solid oxide electrolysis is still um, a bit less mature. So um, in, in our opinion, before really scaling that technology to the same level at, at, at which we are on the alkaline side, would probably take something like three years from, from today. Yeah? So 2026, maybe 2027 is the point in time where we believe that SOEC will be on the same level as alkaline. Um, now, uh, the, the second element or answer to your question is there will be cases where it's very, very, and now I'm talking about 2030 and, and beyond, um, there will be cases where it's going to be very clearly one technology or the other. But I think they will not so much compete with each other and I think they're very complementary. Um, let me give you two examples to underpin that. The first one, um, the alkaline electrolysis compared to all the other electrolyzers in the industry is, is relatively cheap. And the cost reduction potential is still, uh, you, can, you can still cut costs by a factor of two or maybe even three to, to where we are today. So it is already the cheapest electrolysis you get find in the market or the lowest cost electrolysis you can find in the market. And it still has potential to be to, to reduce its cost significantly. So um, whenever the, um, the capital cost of the equipment is the most important element in your total cost of ownership structure um, and efficiency is less important, customers will likely choose pressurized alkaline electrolysis. Huh? Where do you have less requirement for efficiency? That's in low cost electricity countries. So let's say the deserts of the world, the very windy regions of the world where efficiency is not so important because electricity is extremely cheap. We're talking about um, 10 to maximum 20, megawatt, uh, 20 euro per megawatt hour. In those regions, I think alkaline has a very big benefit. Here, the efficiency is less important. It's important that the equipment doesn't cost too much. So I think long-term, that's where alkaline will be. The SOEC is more interesting because of its efficiency, is more interesting in markets where you have higher electricity prices, where the price of renewable electricity is more expensive, maybe because it's not as windy or not as sunny as in other regions of the world. So let's say, for example, um, uh, the Netherlands or, or Germany or maybe Austria, France, countries in the middle of Europe, where we will also in the longer future probably have higher electricity costs, 
their efficiency will matter. And I think that's where the SOEC is going to be the technology of choice. And the past 12 months have actually improved again the business case for SOEC because the, the prospect of zero cost renewable electricity in, in the center of Europe is, is, has substantially been reduced. Yeah? So I think very good combination of both. And then there will be hybrid cases where a customer is interested to use, I don't know, 30% from SOEC to produce its hydrogen and 70% maybe from a technology like SOEC. Uh, so I also see hybrid cases here. But it's good to have both in the portfolio. It's a, it's a risk hedge. But at the same time, it's also, I think, just complementary and the ability then to serve more markets than if we would have only one of the two products. Interesting, really interesting. Um, second follow-up on this one, um, you're not in the business of making uh, polymer electrolyte membrane electrolysis or PEM, which is uh, considered quite a promising technology uh, by many uh, companies in the space. Why not, I guess? Um so I mentioned in, in my uh, previous explanation that for many business cases, the CAPEX, so the investment cost in the equipment will be the decisive factor to select the technology. And I believe that um, that alkaline is substantially more promising on, on the cost side, which is related to the materials we use, um, which, which are relatively simple and, and, and very uh, widely available, which is more difficult for, for PEM electrolyzers. Um, the second aspect is one big benefit of, of PEM electrolyzers is that they can fluctuate very quickly. They can be turned on and off very quickly, um, which in a world with more and more renewable electricity, it becomes more and more important. Um, we at Sunfire are working uh, quite significantly on um, with, with quite a significant amount of resources on um, making our equipment more flexible. Uh, one of our flagship projects was a project called Demo for Grid. And within this project, one uh, requirement is, for example, to improve the flexibility of the equipment. So um, this is one of our priority areas that we're focusing on. Um, already today, I can say that the equipment is relatively flexible. It is able to follow the load of renewable energies. It's maybe not as quick as PEM, but I think we're not too far away and we can improve that to the same level. So uh, without saying that there is no market or no justification for PEM, I think that the biggest chunk of the, the global market will be taken up by alkaline electrolyzers and then PEM and also solid oxide electrolysis will play a slightly uh, less important role in terms of market shares. Uh, but the market eventually will become so big anyhow that I think we do not have the luxury to say we're now focusing only on one technology. We will have to focus on, on all three electrolyzer technologies and, and we'll have a, a pretty hard time to meet the targets or the ambitions that we've set over the past two, three years. We'll come on to talk about that. Uh, finally, about Sunfire, what were the biggest challenges over the past years and how has the business model of the company evolved? So, um, I mean, creating a company, especially in, in this hardware-intensive, R&D-intensive space, is, is a roller coaster ride, to be honest. You need a lot of money um, to, to invest into research and development, you need a lot of money to invest into equipment to build your machines. And eventually you will need a lot of money to um, pre-finance the construction of projects and, and be a bankable counterparty to your industrial customers. So um, the, the pure fact that this is a very cash intensive business um, makes this already challenging. And I think Sunfire, we've, we've raised around about half a billion euro from 
private sources, but, but also from, from uh, public sources through subsidies. Um, we, we've done a good job at that. And, and I mean, one of the key challenges, if I think back, what made me sleep uh, bad and sometimes really bad is obviously providing sufficient funds to the company at a point in time where, like you said in the beginning, hydrogen was not your the, the sexy topic people would would go into. People would, would st still back in the days when we, we created this company, hydrogen was seen as a fuel for passenger cars, which is probably one of the toughest um, business cases to go for. Um, so uh, developing a, comp a company in a hardware and CAPEX or money intensive uh, business um, at a point in time where there was no market, no hype around the topic was certainly challenging. And, and uh, we were, the, the company was, was definitely a threat more than, than just once. Um, that comes in with difficulties to hire great talented people. I mean, we, we have luckily today one of the, I would say the best teams on the globe when it comes to electronics production and development. But um, it was difficult to find those people over the past years. Now we've grown by probably some 300 people. So, so uh, doubling the, 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 the people resources over the past 12 months. Um, but, but that was because the topic became substantially more interesting in, in the first 10 to 12 years, that was a, a significant challenge. Um, so, so I think the, the, the whole story of Sunfire, the creation of the company is, is filled with, <laughs> with challenges, challenging situations. And while it's on the one hand side, one of the biggest privileges to, to be able with your work to, to uh, contribute to something which can really have a meaningful change and impact on this planet and, and the life of the generations that come after us, um, it's, it's of course also uh, in, in uh, many days of, of that journey, it was, it was painful and, and you had to be resilient in order to get through that. Um, so um, that's, that's on the biggest challenges. And you asked also the question around the business model. Um, like every company or like many, many companies uh, around us, there was there were a couple of big pivot moments in our history. So moments where we decided to change the, the story of the company or the business model of the company. Um, when we originally started, we wanted actually to develop projects and to buy the hardware from companies um, uh, around us. And since the topic was so unpopular back then, it was very, very hard to find partners that would provide hardware to you. So um, through some acquisitions and partnering with people, Sunfire quite quickly after around about two years um, decided to become a developer of electrolyzers and put that project development topic a bit aside, which honestly uh, between the two of us was also a bit too early back then. Yeah, that there was no appetite for projects at that point in time. So I'm happy we made that shift in 2011 and actually became a manufacturer of electrolyzers. Um, and then a second pivot or a second shift came when we decided to add a second technology, a second product to our portfolio. And um, some people found it funny that we were actually working on the next generation product and added um, a state-of-the-art product through an acquisition. So the Alkaline product actually came on board uh, a bit later. And, and that was probably one of the best decisions we have taken so far. And the rationale for that was we saw that the market would open up faster than we would be able to to uh, or then, then then the point in time where we'd be able to supply solid oxide electrolyzers at large scale. So we said, okay, we want to be part of that first wave. So we pivot again. We invest into a second product, and and then uh, offer not only solid oxide but also pressurized alkaline electrolysis. And like I said, I think that was 
one of Sunfire's best moves uh, in in at least the recent history. Yeah, it's interesting how how quickly the hydrogen um, topic took off, right? Because in, in in a way, your first pivot was because uh, it, the market wasn't mature enough, and then and then you you suddenly needed to accelerate because the market was picking up so picking up so much uh, so much pace. Yeah, it's quite Absolutely. quite impressive. So uh, yeah, let's talk about the European uh, hydrogen space. And you already told us where you do not see uh, uh, hydrogen or, or a lot a lot of hydrogen demand coming from, uh, and that is uh, passenger vehicles. Uh, to turn it around, where do you see um, the, the largest uh, um, demand for your um, electrolyzers? Which sectors? So I think first of all that it is wise to look at the markets, the areas where we already use hydrogen today. Because um, hydrogen, once we will move to a situation where we transport this over long distances and, and we use it in industries that did not use hydrogen previously, that still takes a bit of time. Yeah? The, the train has started to roll, if you want. We saw in the discussions between the French and the Germans yesterday, um, uh, celebrating the 60 years of, uh, of, of Europe, um, we saw that, uh, that that there is a significant interest to invest into that infrastructure and to transportation means for hydrogen, but that will take a little bit of time and the creation of new industries um, will, will, be, will also similarly take a bit of time. So focusing on areas where hydrogen is already used today I think is is the best uh, is the best guess uh, or is, is the best estimate for now. Um, so where is hydrogen used in larger quantities? Um, it is used in refineries um, in order to, to treat um, uh, uh, products that are based on crude oil. And hydrogen is used in the production of fertilizers of ammonia. Um, and uh, I think starting in those industries and, 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 and providing green hydrogen and more and more of it to 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 reduce the amount of fossil hydrogen we're, we're using there is a very good first start. Yeah? Um, that's the near-term opportunities that I see where substantial CO2 reductions can be achieved um, in, in a relatively short period of time. Um, now, the, the, the other industries that I consider to be extremely interesting are, for example, the steel industry. Um, the steel industry is uh, is until today using predominantly fossil coal in order to, very simply speaking, extract the oxygen from iron ore in order to produce pure iron ore or steel. And the extraction of oxygen from the iron ore by using carbon creates carbon dioxide. So this is a massive polluter. I think six or seven percent of global CO2 emissions come from the steel industry today. Now. The industry is is facing a massive cycle of reinvestment because a lot of equipment is old and new new equipment needs to be bought, and and I think the combination of big CO2 emissions and the 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 urgent need to renew the existing assets in the steel industry will create um, a a very favorable environment for green hydrogen. So. In the future, green hydrogen will be used to extract that oxygen and to create the temperatures you need in the process, but mostly to extract the, the oxygen. And, and oxygen and hydrogen give water vapor, which then goes to the atmosphere, which is substantially less harmful than, um, than CO2. So the steel industry is one that we're betting on. 
Um, and then I see also some potential for long distance transport, take for example, planes or ships, um, container ships, um, those, those two going over long distances will need some kind of chemical energy uh, carriers in order to, 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 to be operated in the future. And here, I think also in a more like a second wave, you will see hydrogen or hydrogen derivatives as they are called. So products produced from green hydrogen play a significantly more important role. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So where we currently use hydrogen and then on top of that, um, uh, uh, steel making and, uh, and long distance uh, transportation as the right. biggest sectors. So right now, uh, EU um, hydrogen demand stands at around uh, 10 million tons uh, per year. Um, and uh, the EU has announced a target under the Repower EU plan to um, produce at least 10 million tons of green hydrogen by 2030. So that's only seven years away uh, um, uh, within the EU um, and uh, another and import another 10 million tons. Uh, so basically um, the total green hydrogen consumption within the EU would be twice what the current total hydrogen uh, consumption is. Are we, in your, in your view, on track to meet these targets? Um, so first of all, What I think is is important to mention is um, ju just to make it more tangible for people is the, the huge amount of CO2 that can be saved if you substitute those 10 million tons. Um, I think globally it's 90 million tons that are used in the conventional industries. Um, uh, just by 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 uh, explaining that with every ton of green hydrogen you provide, you reduce CO2 emissions compared to fossil hydrogen by 10 tons. Uh, so Let's assume we're replacing the 10 million tons of, of hydrogen in the EU. That's 100 million tons of CO2 that we're saving. Um, and globally, it could be uh, 900, almost 1,000 uh, million tons of, of CO2 that can be abated just by replacing the CO2, uh, the, 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 the hydrogen, the fossil hydrogen by green hydrogen in the existing industries. So this is a, a massive potential, which I think urgently needs to be, needs, needs to be um, addressed. Now, We have um, ahead of us round about eight years, seven and a half, to, to install sufficient electrolyzer equipment to produce those 10 million tons in Europe and additional 10 million tons outside of Europe for Europe. Um, such, a, such a growth to, to achieve this kind of uh, installation within seven and a half years Is an, is an extreme challenge. It will require something in the range of 200 gigawatt of installed electrolyzer capacity, half of it in Europe, half of it outside of Europe. Um, to give you an example, it has taken the wind industry, I think something like 22 years to reach the same amount of installed capacity. So the challenge is massive. Now, we need a turbo boost in all those industries. We need a turbo boost in wind uh, power production and solar power production, and we need one in, in hydrogen production. And I think this, this uh, saying that this has been done in 22 years in the wind industry just shows massive exponential growth in those industries is possible, but we need to be even more ambitious than we have been in, in, in those industries in the past. Um, so it, there is a chance we can meet this target, but to be very frank, At the moment, this is a target, this is an ambition, and we haven't been very good in Europe to translate that ambition into concrete legislation, which then leads into execution. 
Whereas, for example, in the US, very recently, I'm sure we're also going to come to that point uh, a bit later. In the in the US, for a long time, we didn't hear anything about the ambition of the US in in the green hydrogen sector. And almost overnight, an instrument was created that is substantially incentivizing the installation, so the execution of green hydrogen projects. Um, so, ambition is right. The number it's is is good to 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 aim for those big numbers. There's always an element of self-fulfilling prophecy also behind it, but we need to get going, and we need the regulatory framework and the political incentives in place in order to achieve that. Right now, we're in neutral mode. We're not moving, and that's bad. So what what do we need to get us moving uh, and to put us on track to maybe not hit these targets, but uh, to uh, to to reduce the gap by which we are potentially missing them? Yeah, I think to to come near those targets, um, there are two major things that we need to do. Um, the the implementation of new renewable energy technologies always costs more than the use of fossil energies in the beginning. Why? Because when we extract fossil energy from the ground, we basically use a present that was given to us by Earth. Whereas when we use renewable energies, we're going through an, a complicated process of harnessing the energy and converting it, in our case, into hydrogen. So in the beginning, you have a price delta. The green molecule is a bit more expensive than the, the fossil molecule. So through some kind of mechanism in that initial phase, let's say the first eight years, you have to have supportive mechanisms supportive regulations that help you cover, that help our customers, if you want, to cover that data. Yeah? That can be through so-called contracts for difference. That can be through a mandate that you have to use X percent of green hydrogen, for example, in your refinery or something like that. So there are different ways how you can incentivize the so-called demand side. Um, one other element which is a sound, might sound a bit more technical, but is, is not uh, least important, is how can we buy the most important resource as an electrolysis operator? How can we buy the most important resource, which is green electricity, without losing its green property? At the moment, there is simply a lack of, of description how we can do that. Uh, in uh, uh, someone who's not from from the industry would think, okay, uh, Hans has a windmill and Niels has an electrolyzer, and the two can have a contract, and they just and then Hans just brings the electricity through the through the grid to Niels, who then converts the electricity into hydrogen. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Even if we would have that contract in today's world, I would not get the green credit from from uh, that that you Hans have produced with your windmill. So um, that element. Um, that that question still needs to be solved, and I'm that, mentioning that so specifically because this is an item we've been speaking about for I think four and a half years now, and it's a bit astonishing to us as an industry why, on on the on the European political level now, we haven't been able to provide a mechanism that that cl clarifies that question. So on the supply side, if you want, on the electricity supply side, there is also one central question which is still outstanding and has to be answered soon. And what you're uh, what you're uh, what you're discussing here, or, 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 or what you're what you're referring to, I think, is the uh, is the delegated act rega uh, regarding what counts as uh, as green hydrogen. Uh, is that correct? That is correct. That is the the missing piece. It's a, a delegated act, which is part of the so-called renewable energy directive, yeah. which should which which is a a requirement that the Commission uh, clarifies 
how the electrolyzer industry can purchase its green electricity. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, I mean, f- fully agree. And this is this is something we we hear basically from everyone working on hydrogen, um, along with the fact that actually we need these schemes to um, to, to ramp up demand. Um, I guess the lack of um, such schemes, so uh, carbon contracts for difference and so forth, um, have meant that um, uh, that most of the large-scale uh, electrolyzers that have received uh, final investment decisions today um, are in refineries, um, where they're basically financed through greenhouse gas reduction credits or green fuel quotas. Um, uh, uh, do you think... Uh, do, do you think that's a sensible um, uh, place to put these um, uh, to put these first electrolyzers? Uh, given that I don't know if, you, if we're going into a net zero economy, we're probably not going to have that many uh, refineries around uh, 2040, 2050. Uh, would it not be more sensible to start decarbonizing our steel industry, which we do want to keep, presumably? Um, so, first of all, I think that the final investment decisions that we have seen are still very much based on the trust of off takers and project developers that the regulatory framework is going to be established. I think a a valid viable business case is still a bit up in the air and and still need and, and also refineries still need to get clarification um, through that delegated act how they can bring the renewable electricity to the to their electrolyzers that they want to operate. Um, now, uh, I think that it is um, a a good place to start with, because let's face it, um, the, the the time we will have larger refineries operating is still more in the range of of ten to fifteen or twenty years, um, and and uh, this type of equipment will amortize substantially earlier than that. So and and the the willingness to pay for green hydrogen in a refinery is simply so much bigger. So why don't we ask the major polluters to pay for part of the cost reduction curve um, to to, to basically pay for part of the the cost reduction curve of electrolyzers? So I think that's actually a a very logical thing. There's someone who's polluting, who has polluted a lot in the past. Um, There is a high willingness to pay in that industry. Um, There is still sufficient time of operation in that industry, which is negative, but it's a fact. And and I think it's it's good to start there. Um, the steel industry is a logical next customer, but in the steel industry, it's not that you just install electrolyzers. You also have to convert the entire steel plant into a new operation uh, site, and that will just take longer. And um, hence, I think while it's important to focus a majority of the efforts on the steel industry, if we would only do that and we wouldn't allow for business cases like the ones in refineries. We'd probably end up not never going through that cost reduction curve. So I think that's that's it's a, a totally legitimate um, area to start with, knowing, acknowledging that in in ten years you'll probably not see many more installation in refineries because hopefully you won't need majority of them anymore. So it's a it's a pragmatic solution to get down the learning curve um, by building um, electrolyzers uh, at large scale and actually putting them out there and then kind of the, the the larger investments that need more transformation can come. Exactly. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that there will still be a uh, requirement for hydrocarbon products in the future. Um, and uh, hence, some kind of refinery, even if it's a refinery of the future, will still be there. And a certain hydrogen need will probably also be be there in those, in those industries. Substantially lower if we transition to battery electric mobility, which is an absolute must in order to to achieve our climate targets. Yeah, great. 
Uh, I'd like to turn to our final main section of the podcast and uh, talk about uh, global uh, uh, competition uh, with you. First question I there I have is about supply chains, uh, with because with Russia's invasion of Ukraine starting last February, there's been a big focus on uh, um, the resilience of um, supply chains uh, to disruptions. Um, how vulnerable is the electrolyzer supply chain to such disrupt disruptions? And uh, if it is, uh, what are the main risks in your view? Um, so with our specific technology, to be quite honest. I see less of an issue because um, we are sourcing the majority of, of the components in our processes from Europe. Um, and hence, Sunfire has been um, much less affected by, um, by, by the disruptions in supply chains that we have seen. Um, so if you talk purely about the electrolyzer supply chain, um, I think on, on that front, we have been fortunate that, that we were not so dependent on, on areas like, like Russia um, and, and also China, who, whose supply chains were affected mostly because of COVID. Um, of course, there are some electrical components that everyone is using that, that are challenging, but um, the, the, the hit for us was, was substantially lower. Um, so I think that's that's something which we have also learned is a is a significant value to our investors that we are using value chains that are rather local rather european um and and hence more robust to those kind of events okay well that's i guess that's good to hear the other the other aspect of global competition and uh, is um uh, what the us is doing with uh, the inflation reduction act or um ira you already uh, alluded to it, uh, would you would you say the IRA is a threat to your business, or is it is it also an opportunity? No, I think first of all, to Sunfire, it's a, it's an opportunity and actually a pretty significant one because um, obviously we we aim uh, at at being a global company eventually, um, and the the IRA the IRA has has um, basically just provided a a demand side incentive like what I mentioned a bit earlier in our discussion um, and and hence I think it's just opening up a second very very promising market and if we reach something close to the targets we have in uh, Europe and in addition to that we have a US market the the world for us as an electrolysis supplier just becomes twice as attractive um, I think. It's it's more of a challenge from a European perspective um, to to achieve its own targets. Um, if you look at the past 15 years, the majority of companies that were building electrolyzers were located in Europe. Significant amount of companies in Germany, but but also companies in France, in the UK, uh, in in uh, Denmark, and 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 also in in Norway. Um, and, and those companies will start to focus part of their attention, part of their investments on other geographies in the world than, than the EU. And that will make it more difficult to achieve a, an ambition, a target, which is already extremely high. So I think that's more the, the challenge. And then I would say as a, as a side comment, of course, it is extremely important for companies to be successful that they have some domestic uh, demand. It is very difficult to build equipment in Europe, but have 100% of your market in the US. I think that's that's something which will make it difficult to make. It will be difficult for us to, to be successful in such a surrounding. So, um, we we definitely need to have domestic offtake, domestic customers 
in order to build a good presence here and from that also build a second very interesting leg in the US. Um, so you could argue that the IRA has um, a negative effect on Europe in, in, in the sense of achieving its own target because it's diverting the interests of companies to, to other areas. And it's also posing to a certain degree a threat to us because it's then eventually not that easy to, to go into a new geography if the majority of operations is located in Europe. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So what should the European response be? Or do you, do you have any do you have any building blocks for, for, for a European response to, uh, uh, to, 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 to really be able to compete with uh, the very ambitious plans uh, put out there by the Americans? So I think um, to give credit to the European institutions, um, a lot of good work has already been prepared. So when you speak to people within the commission, there are very clever ideas, um, very good proposals, for example, for how a, a contract for difference mechanism should look like. Um, there, there was a very smart proposal to say X percent of the hydrogen used in the existing industry where we already use fossil hydrogen, X percent of that has to be green. That was part of the, I think, Fit for 55 or, or Repower EU uh, documents. Um, so I think not reinventing the wheel and trying to, again, announce something big on top of the multiple announcements we've already made in the in the past two years is a first step. Let's Let's just execute the very good tools that we have prepared, but not implemented yet and um of course i i'm i'm happy if i hear that the european commission is planning to bring its own ira its own inflation reduction act with a slightly different name that's great if if it's for example if, if part of it is for example the execution of the things that have already been very well prepared in the past now so i think this this we, we have to stop adding on to the ambition side, we actually have to get stuff done now and to, to start execute also on the policy side. Yeah, I think very much agree. Okay, um, uh, this brings us close to the end of our podcast. And uh, we tend to uh, we tend to finish our podcast with a couple of short answer questions. Uh, the idea here is that um, I give you a couple of concepts. They're all from uh, the, the hydrogen space. Uh, and you give me your assessment whether they are overrated or underrated by the by the market uh, um, in general, uh, and ideally you give maybe a one sentence explanation why you think they're overrated or underrated. Great. And the the first one would be e fuels in aviation. Underrated. Um, while hydrogen planes might still take years to develop, only e fuels can effectively and quickly reduce the climate effect. Of flying, and unfortunately, we will continue to fly uh, for a long time. So, uh, definitely underrated. Thanks. Second one is hydrogen and space heating. Not the most interesting business case for hydrogen. There are uh, substantially more interesting solutions based on use of direct or direct use of electricity, but I think some dismiss it too early um, or too easily because there will be buildings and areas where electrification is not fully possible. So on uh, overrated by some, underrated by others. Thirdly, hydrogen from nuclear energy, or uh, I guess red or pink hydrogen, as it's, as it's called by some. 
I think that's overrated. Um, hydrogen from renewable electricity is cheaper and definitely the cleaner and, and safer solution. Maybe not unexpected answer from a German. And then fourthly, <laughs> we have uh, conversions of LNG import terminals to import green hydrogen or its derivatives. Uh, so that's a very big topic in Germany right now. Yeah, I think any conversion on of, of fossil infrastructure to green infrastructure is, is something we should strive for. But the bottleneck for hydrogen imports, I believe, is not the terminals right now and, and also not in the foreseeable future. It's more the conversion of hydrogen into something that can be transported and then potentially also hydrogen ships. Um, so it's something to look for, but but probably focus more on the pipelines than on the uh, LNG terminals, is my opinion. I think that's very much in line with our analyses uh, that pipeline transportation where where feasible is, is likely to be uh, a lot cheaper. Substantially, substantially cheaper, yeah. Great. Thanks a lot, Niels. Uh, this was fun uh, and really interesting. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us today. Hans, thanks a lot. Uh, what I can finish with is hydrogen is coming. It's a, it's a huge pleasure to be in that sector and it's great that you guys are covering it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Niels. That was Hans Koenig, Aurora's Managing Director for Central Europe, talking to Niels Aldach, co-founder and CEO of Sunfire. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.